Right, welcome to uh, the Madam's Cast and welcome especially to Sini Glaister. How are you, Sini? Pretty good, all things considered. All things considered. Oh, you, hang on, you nearly set off a little alarm then, so we'll have to be a bit careful okay. because if, if we go too far down that road, there is a little alarm that will go off and uh, I haven't thought of any penalties for it yet, but um, it, 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 despite anything else, the alarm going off in and of itself will will put you right. So, um, <laughs> Senny, we've, oh, sorry, Sini, we've been friends for a little while. I've known you for a few years and... Um, so I wanted to invite you on because I think you're an interesting person to talk to about food, life in general, and particularly books. So can you give us a little rundown of who you are and how you got there? <laughs> I know, I know. That's an awkward thing to ask, isn't it? We don't need to start with day one in the nursery, yeah. but you know, I, if you um, could just... Uh, I was co-founder of The Book People, so I've been immersed in the book world for pretty much all of my working life. I um, then went on to found WeFIFO, which is a food sharing platform. So somewhere between those two things, career-wise, I've uh, always immersed myself in two of my favourite things, books and food. Books and food, which uh, sort of do make a fairly sort of magical combination, don't they? Yeah, and they have a lot in common. They have a huge amount in common that I think you could consider them both essential. Um, I think often they're inaccessible, often they're overpriced, um, and uh, there's a lot of elite, <laughs> a, a lot of elitism attached to both that isn't really necessary because taste is a very personal thing in um, both books and food. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think both books and food quite a lot of repetition some of it unnecessary yeah yeah absolutely trying to keep trying to keep both aspects fresh throughout your life is a is a a fun challenge yeah for sure now um you've been a little bit naughty because you've pointed out that you have had something to do with running um a publishing company or, or book distribution or whatever you want to call it um but you've met you failed to mention slightly there that you're actually a, a celebrated author yourself uh I am an author. I have two books published. Oh, well, I've celebrated you. I mean, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Tim. I, I'm claiming that. I'm giving you that title. That's uh, I have two novels published. I have a third novel that should be coming out in August, subject to um, lockdown, I guess. And oh. the... <laughs> you upset the corona book. Okay. It will come out. Um, <laughs> subject to the ability of the uh, wonderful publishing industry and the bookselling industry to, you know, to get my brilliant. book out in August. Yeah. That's a vibrant world, isn't it? And it's going yeah. to carry on brilliantly, so that's all fine. Yeah. Um, I love both of your novels that I've read, and food Thank plays you. an important part in both of them, which I think is very cool because I think without food, it's difficult to connect in a, uh, in a sort of human way to other things. And that brings me nicely, I guess, uh, not that I've planned this interview at all, to We Fo, which is how we met. Yeah. And... Can you, can you? It's a difficult thing contextually to sort of sum up in a few words, but can you give us a brief idea about what it is, how it works, and why? The idea was uh, the sort of the elevator pitch was to connect people who like to cook with people who would much rather somebody else cook for them, um, whether it's a professional chef or a really really good uh, 
experienced home cook. Um, and I think I came about it from the chef's perspective. I'd, I'd met in my previous business a lot of chefs, really, really um, excited by what they were doing and impressed by what they were doing, um, but thought they were quite difficult to access. And I started to think about a, a sort of Airbnb for the kitchen table idea where a good chef might be able to connect with a paying audience. Um, and then I started to think more about the audience and realised that the, the absolute critical need was from the guest's perspective uh, to give them an opportunity to find new food to eat, new places to eat, and crucially to meet other people over and around food, which is really what what uh, We FIFO is all about. Um, and it's it's a killer. Yeah. And, and, and for me, that's the thing. It's the people. It's that connection. It's that. Yeah. It's the sharing element that that really gets me. And so you took this idea and you you built a technological platform to make it work. Yeah, yeah. I built the platform, launched the platform fairly fully fledged. I had a very clear vision for what I wanted it to be and what I wanted it to do. Um, and then just started talking to uh, people that could cook. I, I knew there would be no shortage of people that wanted to eat the food. Um, but we, we've actually got a really lovely network, a community. I, I think we sort of attract the chefs um, who do see the uh, – I think we attract like-minded chefs, people that care about the, the the people around the table who are excited about joining the conversation, who want to try out their food on new people um, and who aren't afraid to come and talk about their food um, you know, as during, as they cook it, during they cook it, after they've cooked it. And many chefs will sit down and um, eat with us at the end of the evening, yourself included. Yeah, I've had a go or two with you guys, which has been fabulous. And, and you know, apart from anything else, met some amazing people, become a good friends, uh, become good friends with, with you and, and John as well. So um, I love WeFIFO and everything Thanks. it's all about. And yeah, I, it's exciting. I think it would, yeah, it is. And I think it's clever. I think celebrating food is, 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 you know, it's one thing. And chefs, as you say, can get into that sort of headspace where actually it's all about the dish. And at that point, it can become quite difficult for them to, um, to grow, to change, to retain creativity mm. in a way that's responsive. And I think sitting down at a table with a bunch of friendly but relative strangers and watching them eat your food and interacting them while they eat it, while you eat it with them and talk about it and a million other things is uh, a really useful um, sort of renaissance causing effect within your uh, creative chefiness. If I'm not sounding too bloody no, up think, my own. No, I think that's that, absolutely right. But it also takes a slightly separate skill. You're not shut away in the kitchen. You're not maybe making a mysterious one of those awkward tour, tours of the table at the end of the evening, asking your guests <laughs> if they're doing which is one of the most horrible things if you're sitting at a restaurant table when the chef yeah. comes out to it's ask you if you enjoyed your food. It's horrible for everyone. But the, Actually, um, mate, very good. <laughs> or it was, it was great, but... I kind of expected it to be. Um, um, it's, it's, it's an awful thing. Um, but I think um, 
it does take a, a different skill to be able to engage your audience at a real time uh, without any barriers. It's sort of it's a very very transparent way, and that makes it sound daunting. I don't think it is daunting, but I think you have to be a, an open person. You have to be keen on on you know you 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 want to please your 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 diners and um it's yeah as you say there are a lot of it does tend to attract great people um but we also have a a good 30 percent of our guests are solo diners so they are using we fofo as an opportunity to you know share conversation as well as food which which is fundamental yeah yeah i I think that's actually that's something that hadn't occurred to me um until you just mentioned it actually because there's a lot of people, I think, in in the tech world, which is sort of in as well. If if you want to go and find someone in terms of a date, then there's lots of opportunity there, right? You can I can name off the top of my mm. head half a dozen applications that you could sign up to and go and meet people. Um, but actually, to just have a chat, share a meal, make some new friends, yeah, that, that's. It's not really there, is it? And, and I think you're going to find you... you're going to find like-minded people. If you if you're drawn to the same food, you already have something in common. If you've both booked seats at a table because of that chef or that menu, or 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 you're adventurous and want to try something new, you're going to find like-minded people around the table anyway. So I think meeting people with that as a as a common bond is far more natural than um, you know swiping left. Or right, Bingo. I have no idea. Yeah, absolutely right. I have no idea whether it's left or right either. <laughs> that's, that's not to be trusted with that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, the very thought of attempting to go on a date, <laughs> and I don't think my wife would be very happy. No, I'm, sure she, I'm sure she wouldn't. Oh, sorry, swipe, swipe the wrong way, dear. <laughs> <laughs> well, what? If, hang on. What if you both secretly went on and you didn't select each other? I mean, that's I really. I think there's a song about that. Is there? Oh, oh, okay. Well, the I'm pina, not down with the pina colada. The, isn't the pina colada the pina colada song? Isn't that about people? Two people going on a date. Oh, that, yeah, an old yeah. school song. It, yeah, it's, yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really old school one. Yeah. Yes. Oh, well, I did not realise that that yeah. was going to come up. That's good. Um. <laughs> and then sitting around the table uh, at the Wii Five events, I have. Uh, it, it's quite often when you're sitting around a table in a restaurant, food won't be the subject of conversation at all. It won't come up beyond the sort of polite. Is that nice? Oh yes, it's nice. Do you like that? Yes, I like that. You know, at Wii Five Fo, I've never been to one. I've been to them as a guest and as a as a host as well. Very lucky in that respect. Um, I've never been to one where the conversation hasn't ended up being about food, and I don't know if that's just because I manually grab the conversation and turn it into a conversation about food because I do have a habit of doing that or whether it's a natural part of it I feel like it's a natural part of it but I'd like you to tell me uh and use that as a way of leading into three things that you'd like to talk about that might change in your ideal world of food I think it it is a you know we talked about it before it's a sort of common denominator isn't it people are there to eat um and they're excited about the food because all the food tends to be served sort of sharing family style. People have to help each other to the food and and therefore you start talking about it very naturally, very immediately. Um, but you'd be amazed by some of the conversations, some of the, the conversation that gets provoked by these sort of random collections of people. Um, it's always very, very pleasant. I can't remember any sort of 
agro ever at WeFIFO. It tends to be uh, very polite, very respectful, often because you're in somebody else's house, um, not in a not in a venue. As such. Yeah, that's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Yeah, I think it. I think people's people use really good manners when they go as a guest to somebody's home. Where when they go to a restaurant, often they have certain expectations. Where sometimes no that the food can't be good enough to to please. You know, it's so it's so hyped. It's so you've booked it. It's so far in advance that it almost cannot deliver against your expectation whereas I think if you're invited into a home and you're curious about about the ability of a, of a home cook or somebody working in a domestic kitchen their ability to produce great food um, you, you, you're going to be wowed you're going to be amazed by by what's put in front of you and I think that's a, a pretty positive starting point for an atmosphere sort of an around a, a table. It's a brilliant idea, and uh, I'm a big supporter of it, and I'm looking Thank forward you. to being able to do some more once we get rid of that annoying duck out of the rushes. Um, okay, so in your conversations about food, and they, they, these do not, let's be clear, because this is a new format, these three things that I'm going to ask you to choose that you change yeah. about your world of food if you were to have an ideal one, um, they don't have to be politically motivated. They don't have to have some sort of lofty moral appeal. I'm just interested in people's thoughts about food. And because of that, and because I have my own strong viewpoints about food, I want to ask other people about theirs. Mm. Um, and so I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> you might, you might. <laughs> A bit. <laughs> but, um, if, yeah, if you misbehave, I'll set the duck on you again. Okay. Um, uh, basically, just if you imagine yourself in a world where you're in charge of food and give me three things that you would definitely change from the current world of food to the new world of food i think one of the things that really strikes me over and over again and to put it in context we do live on a very very small farm we do produce our own meat and um and veg and eggs and uh, so a lot of this comes through me examining the the cost of that in both time and effort. Um, and I know for a fact that it is almost impossible to produce meat of the quality we produce, our, our beef, um, is not sustainable financially. Um, and therefore, there has, you know, there has to be a shift to, to bigger farming if people want to actually make money, make a business out, out of producing uh, food. And that's not what we want. You know, we want the quality that comes from small and local. Um, so I think a big reset and what we pay for food would be really helpful. I'm, I'm appalled by the price. A lot of food is too cheap. I'm, that's going to sound really annoying because I know people struggle to pay for food. Um, but I don't think, I don't think the supermarket is the place to address that balance. That should happen elsewhere. Um, I think milk is too cheap. It shouldn't be cheaper than water. It's, you know, it's a, a very, very strange thing to attach no value to when you think of the animals involved in that process, the farms involved in that process, the land involved in that process. Um, and actually, my, my big obsession is chicken. I, um, 
we, we tried raising chickens for meat, not just for eggs. And John, my husband, dispatched 12 chickens the same morning, and I, I plucked 12 chickens. Now, that must have been afternoon. hard. I had no idea how hard that was, how physically hard that was, and how hard it was to do it well. And the whole process, raising those chickens humanely, um, was effort from from all the way through, you know, to, to give them the space and the food and the love and the care and the the, the right environment to, to rear healthy chickens and then to dispatch them kindly and then to pluck them, which is physically a, a, an exhausting job. I um, really thought long and hard about what we pay for food. And I, I, I think the simple solution that I'd want to fix is, I guess, those things should be treats. Um, we shouldn't expect to eat three meaty meals a day, seven days a week. The world has got there, but I think I, I'm very much a, a moderate when it comes to this thing. A little bit of a little bit of everything, um, and and let's not let's try not to force everything down to the you know the bottom of the market by penalising the people that produce the food. Um, making it so so accessible at at the grosser level that it's um impossible for any anyone to to do it well and humanely yeah yeah it's you're right it is a tricky one to look at isn't it but i think in that in that sense of being able to just reset something in an imaginary box you're right. It, I, I mean, for me, I, that's a definite. Eat less meat is one that I would love to see. Um, and, and maybe uh, and eat I, better meat when you eat it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, I think the two would go yeah. well, for hand me, in hand, hopefully. Yeah. There's two, I mean, for, there's two fantastic books, uh, you know, that spring to mind when I think about that. Um, have, have you heard of a writer called Hattie Ellis? She I'm wrote a fantastic so book a few years ago um, now called... Um, planet chicken which is exactly describing the processes that you've just discussed um and how the supermarkets took control of the, the chicken processing and then the other is a guy um called simon farley who wrote a book uh, called meat the benign extravagance which is an interesting sort of advocation for meat in the correct way um it's a couple of titles there worth checking out yeah, if anyone's we'll, interested we'll, we'll certainly check those out okay, I think, so uh, eat less meat. yeah i love i love my chickens by the way i absolutely love my hens so um so forming that relationship with them and therefore wanting to honor them is kind of part of the process isn't it yeah i think you're right there's a, a sort of um the further you are away from the process involved with developing or producing your food the harder it is to have a connection with it, care about it and understand it. Yeah. Yeah. God, I sound like a hippie sometimes. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> what's, what's number two? Um, I think this is really, it's something I think about a lot. It's certainly um, a problem we've tried to solve with WeFIFO. I think it's, I, I'd like to reset people's expectation of the, hospitality industry uh the restaurant industry particularly i think the you know it's really hard to run an independent restaurant we all know we want them we want that local bit of excitement in our in our local town or village or down the road in a city um again it's one of those things that's 
very, very hard to do on small scale um, to get, you know, to get the scale, to get the investment, to get the, you know, the, the cash flow. People are forced to go bigger and bigger and bigger. And actually, then you start to lose that, that passion and identity uh, that everyone was craving. But I think the consumer is to blame. The, the habit of booking a table and not showing up, worse, booking several tables um, just in case you might want to show up at one of them and not cancelling your table causes the restaurant so much financial pain that, and so much food waste and I, I, a lot of those people do care greatly about what they eat and they do care about the environment and they do care about um, society. And yet those little acts of supreme selfishness drive a, um, you know, drive those, those businesses uh, under. It, it, so a, a, reset, a reset where everyone, rather like most entertainment, you know, you go to the cinema you expect to pay in advance. If you don't show up, you lose your money. You don't say, yes. I, I changed my mind. I wanted to see a different film. Can I have my money back? No. Now, if you apply that to a restaurant, why people are so insulted to be asked for a deposit, I have no idea because that restaurant is literally going to commit <laughs> food to your booking. They're going to spend money on your booking. Somebody else can't eat there. They're going to throw away that food at the end of the evening. Um, and you've just exacerbated all the problems that we're talking about. And so a big reset in, in expectation from those businesses. Actually, businesses large and small. It's just that small ones are the ones that we really want to cultivate and support. Um, yes. But we're not doing it if we're, um, if we're not prepared to put our money where our mouth is. That is, well, I, you've reset my expectation because I wasn't expecting you to say anything like that. And I think there's one thing there that is also true, which is that there's a human cost to that scenario as well. There's a, in a restaurant industry, which is something I know a little bit about, we take it for granted that sometimes people won't like what they've eaten or we make a mistake and we have to refund them. And that's fine. That's, that's perfectly okay. But to not turn up is outrageous. And the cost for the people involved, and I don't mean financial cost, the emotional, the physical outpouring that's required to make a little buzzy neighborhood restaurant mm -hmm. be the vibe that you want it to be and create that food. It's a real emotional kick in the teeth if yeah. someone throws them back at you in that way. And yeah. that has a cost to people involved as yeah. well. Yeah, and there's an arrogance that comes with that um, that, I, that is far too, uh, it's far too common. Uh, I think, you know, the, the numbers of no-shows are horrendous. Um, and it, it's, you know, I, this is not an advertisement for, for WeFiFo. I think this is something that should should be reset across where, however you access food. Um, but if you could imagine a, a restaurant that could count on its bookings, how, how it could cut down its food waste and therefore improve its profit, profitability and therefore maybe spend a bit more on its ingredients. Um, the whole dynamic can change quite quickly if everybody realises that they're actually a part of that, um, 
that supply chain. Uh, there are fu- the consumer is a fundamental part. Um, so a change of behaviour there, I think, would be um, would be beneficial for all. Yeah, that would certainly be desirable, wouldn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, quite, I like that. That's a good one. And it's thrown me as well because I wasn't expecting it, which is not unlike... What were you, what were you expecting, Tim? Well, I, I don't know what I was expecting, but I, <laughs> what I do know, I wasn't expecting to reset my expectations. Okay, and great, I have. good, good. Uh, so so that's, that's a weird quasi-foldable dimension there, isn't it? A discussion about resetting expectations has made me reset mine. Is this some kind of remote Jedi mind trick you're using? <laughs> yeah, I'm known for those. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Um, well, uh, before I dig myself any deeper into this hole, um, what about number three? I think yeah, number three is fundamental also in my in my world, and and harder to fix because we're so far down it that the a lot of a lot of times I'm asked about food and I'm asked what I enjoy. People will say, "What's your guilty pleasure?" I would really like to disassociate guilt with food uh, once and for all. I think the um, uh, the impact it has on us and our attitude to food where we turn food into our enemy instead of our lifeblood is, is really, really problematic. Um, and that doesn't seem to be on the wane at all. It, it seems to be a growing problem. And I think we have... Uh, an unhealthy relationship with food that seems to be set very, very early on. And I come back to the same thing. It's sort of everything in moderation, which is very glib and and easy to say. Um, But one of the things we could correct is not not thinking about food as the enemy, um, but but thinking of it as our our saviour. It's, you know, the most valuable resource. It it, it is our lifeblood. Um, And making it making it something to fear and to control is um is problematic for our hugely problematic for our mental health when really you know flip a switch reset and and come back to food being that time where you you slow down you stop um you share food with people you love or strangers or whoever it is but you sit down and eat and and make it benefit to your mental and physical health rather than the enemy um yeah. it's something i'd love to see happen for um you know for my kids and for their kids and for future future generations yeah and do you think that's within the remit of every household to just take that away uh i no, i think it's it's a deeply embedded problem um i think it's so there on uh, yeah i, I mean it's hard to make it the responsibility of their household now because it's so um, it's so embedded in the films we watch, the TV we watch, the the social media we look at that the um, the all of this stuff telling us not to do this, don't do that, don't eat this, don't do that. This is your enemy. That's your enemy. It it makes people fearful, and I think that is. Um, it is we we need your magic reset button for that i think it's a very very hard hard thing to undo i think you could you know we said this wasn't political i think you could um wave a magic wand and start talking to children 
at an early age, at primary school age, about food um, and start feeding them well at lunchtime. (laughs) Um, you know start sort of introducing introducing a lot more knowledge and education from a very very early age and actually often school and uh, and you know that that education process is where you can take in other input outside of your family and and sometimes that's a really good leveler to to take those different inputs and and take a sort of broader um, approach to a subject than your own immediate family, um, which might help everyone come to it from a from a more sort of, um, I don't know, holistic approach as they grow up. It's, it's very interesting. I've always thought it's quite interesting anyway. The way that food, which is such an intrinsic and natural part of life, I mean, you can't live without it. Nothing can live without food. Mm. Um, how it has become this manipulative talisman of, uh, you know, and and status symbol and moved so far away from where it naturally is, which is at the centre of life amongst family and love and the world of nature, which we're very good at looking at separately forgetting completely that we're part of it um i think that that diet and relationship are 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 two things that sort of work together um and i would love to see that change as well the removal of guilt from our lives around food interesting a good way of putting it too yeah well let's let's hope your um you know your your reset buttons work tim it's pretty good actually it's um it's not too bad i've uh, I've, I've got it coming in the post from bojo and he assured me <laughs> that it's 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 not a problem you just crank it up hit the thing and away okay, it goes he's got so, it. great good yeah good. it's not a problem I've just done it with the treasury so um <laughs> if, uh, oh hang on <laughs> hang on <laughs> I have to give myself the duck there. Yeah, great. On that one. I'm glad you're being even-handed about this. Well, I think you know you mustn't be duck dictatorial in in these scenarios because you'll end yourself uh, in 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 soup, duck soup, perhaps. Um, okay, Sini, that is fantastic. Three things. I mean, I'm kind of sitting here now thinking, God, I'm going to have to think about all of those a little bit more um, and put them all together somehow. And yeah, where is that magic reset switch? assuming that we haven't got a magic reset switch um how would we go about implementing any of these things is it just education because the temptation with educating people uh, about food and food production systems or trying to instill your thoughts into them is that they can become a little bit preachy and a little bit like well that's all right for you to say kind of scenario so we've got over 10 million people in this country in food poverty yeah yeah um, you know, and it's something I'm very, very conscious of, uh, which is why my first reset when I said some food is too cheap, I yeah, know it's really- a really uncomfortable thing to say. But as I said, I don't think the supermarket's job is to um, to to deal with that issue. That should be dealt with elsewhere. Um, everyone should have access to, to good, nourishing food. I would want that to happen. Um, but I, I don't think... I don't think um, I don't think the consumer uh, should be causing so it's 
pain <laughs> to the to the producers. Um, I, I don't think they'd feel comfortable if they knew how much pain they were causing to the consumers when they when they bought a product that um, for less than the cost of producing it. Yeah, um, and poverty is not caused by food being too expensive, right? No, no, correct. I, I think the, the so the third one could be fixed through education in terms of guilt. I think you know everyone does have access to primary school education, um, and what what better thing to educate them on alongside your literacy and numeracy to two things I care about deeply and actually I suppose uh, digital literacy as well um, would be um, food you know so so that so that there is a level playing field so that everyone has access to that information regardless of the uh, opportunity they have um, you know to, to share food when they get home I think a starting point would be some some broad knowledge um and that's that's not you know it's not on the curriculum now it hasn't been for a long time um no one has prioritized it but i think it's so fundamental to our health as we grow up that um i'd like to see that i'd like to see that happen at, at a you know quite a prescriptive level great wow that was really good thank you very much um you know, Sini, it's great to chat to you. And I think I'm going to enjoy listening back to this and absorbing some of your points that you've made a little bit more thoroughly. And I am going to enjoy probably ringing you up next week and going, you know, we were talking about this, but what about that? <laughs> <laughs> Look forward to that. Yeah, hopefully that is part of the raison d'etre for what I'm doing here, sitting in my office, recording you remotely via the internet from Sorry, is it sorry? Sausage. Sausage. Sorry. Yep. Sausage. Oh, sake, I'll take myself out and, and flog myself yeah, in a do, minute. Do. Getting... Um, for now, though, what I'd like to do is I'd like to move into a sort of slightly more light-hearted element of this little uh, podcast, and I want you to just give me, please, uh, your desert island recipe book, and and importantly, what you would like to have to drink whilst you're sitting and perusing it. So you've been, you know, you've been sort of put on your desert island and I don't mind where that is. It doesn't have to be in the Aegean or the Philippines. It could be at wherever you like. Um, it's a selective desert island, okay? So it doesn't even need to be an actual desert island, but you're somewhere you're going to be and you can only have one book and one drink. What are they? Okay. I'm glad you clarified. Very glad you clarified the desert island because I was kind of thinking it would have to be an ultimate guide to cooking with coconuts or something. But the, I mean, I have a lot of cookery books. I enjoy them for many different reasons. There are cookery books I will I will turn to to read rather than to cook from, like Nigel Slater. I'm not going to use Nigel Slater when I'm hungry. I'm going to use him when I want to sit down and read about food. Um, I... I use a lot of um, I use a lot of cookery books. I I absolutely love them, and but I'd have to go for something quite. If it's one cookery book, I'd have to You're go allowed. for something quite comprehensive. Um, yeah. I'm not going to go for a, like a great big Larousse or you know you know something where I'm going to learn complicated French techniques for the rest of my life. So I think, I, I think I'd think i probably um, go quite old school 
um, but very, very, very reliable. Uh, it'd be nice if they quickly updated it um, and do Madder Jeffrey's Ultimate Curry Bible. Wow. Curries from all over the world. You're never going to get bored. You know, you can live a vegetarian life from that book very, very comfortably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But also you can, you know, you can feast on um, as a carnivore if you want to. I think, uh, you know, something that, that takes a global approach to um, food, it, that would have to be it for me. Brilliant. And uh, I can't believe that I'm going to about to admit this, but I've not seen that book. I've never laid my hands on a copy of it. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's, it's old. It, it's absolutely reliable. She's, um, she's so good. She's so sensible. Um, I mean, I actually, I mean, I use other cookery books. Uh, there's a, a absolutely fantastic book I use a lot for Indian cuisine, um, which is Fresh India by um, Mira. I think it's pronounced Soda. Um, and that is a beautiful book and it's modern and fresh and exciting. But but I would want, if I was just looking at one book, I, I would want to go, I would, I'd want to go big, com- comprehensive, uh, a curry for every occasion. Well, I'm, go- I'm going to go with you on this. I mean, my favourite curry is Rick Steen's India, but... I've oh, never been it? to India at all. And I know that you've traveled quite extensively there. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Best yeah. food best food in the world, most amazing um generous hosts in India. It's it's an incredible experience. I, I'm amazed you haven't been to him. It's a wonderful country. I am really really not well traveled it's not good is it but i like that's one of the things i like about cookery books is that they can sort of transport you to places without absolutely necessarily and i i must travel more i think that's something i need to do when i'm not so focused on raising my little brood here but maybe one day we'll we'll stretch our legs a bit further and what are you going to drink while you're flicking through the pages of madder jaffrey's curry bible well I mean, it's a it's an interesting one because I I think I mean peak me is me on two Negroni. <laughs> so, and never the third one be so, administered. <laughs> so yeah, don't don't do that. And also, but on two Negroni, I'm not going to cook. So uh, okay, I, you know, I just basically you know, sat down, opened up the recipe, but poured my second Negroni, or if I'm only allowed one drink, my double Negroni in a tall glass. And and then I've gone, nah, I don't want to cook. Um, but I'm having a great time. So um yeah, Negroni, I think. I like all the I like all the sort of the 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 bitter botanical um drinks and I think Negroni is a, a nice punchy way of delivering it. Yeah, it's a great balance, isn't it? A friend of mine um, Tim Oakley has a little bar um, down in Dulwich called the House of Tipler. He makes a, a phony Negroni oh, yeah. where he uses um, Aperol instead of the more commonplace um, Campari, and that's quite delicious. Yeah, that's uh, something fun. about yeah. yeah, something about that combination that works really well. Um, I'm with you. A Negroni is a thing of wonder, and and actually probably wouldn't go that brilliantly with curry so i think you're right you should have the night off cooking yeah um and you know maybe 
I don't know, I, you know, have a few crisps or something yep, uh, with so. your Negroni. That's about as far as I'm going to get after my second Negroni. But, <laughs> but you know, I'm having a good time. Uh, suddenly it's it's less important. Basically, I've put a bookmark in the food I'd like to eat and handed the book over to uh, John probably. Oh, brilliant. So John's yeah. on the art. He can crack yeah. in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah into absolutely. Negroni. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So welcome to my Friday night, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Friday today. I mean, I'm just about time to get to Sussex. Oh, no. Oh, I can't do that at the moment. Don't mention that. Um, so, Athene, uh, <laughs> um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just very briefly ask one more thing because you were, t- you were touching on something when we talked about your cookery books and what they all meant to you. And I had a question pop into my head because something happened to me recently that I hadn't expected to happen to me. Has have you ever cried or has a, a cookery book ever made you cry? And I don't mean you've had a disaster in the kitchen. I just mean, have you ever... Been moved read- to tears by a, book, a cookery book? Yeah. No. I've cried okay. with laughter. Oh, brilliant. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I, I'll, I'll, send you, I'll send you a picture of the book that made me cry with laughter. Um, it wasn't deliberate, so it would be unkind to say what it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right i'm tell you about the book that um yeah, very briefly the introduction of this book brought tears to my eyes um for all the right reasons and it was beautifully written and it's a book called uh midnight chicken oh yes by... yes yes, yes. Oh, yeah. you know who I, it's uh yeah. ella Brigger, something like that i'm probably going to get shot now for not knowing what her name is properly but the introduction to that book uh it, 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 and and I can't think of a, a book that better underlines the importance of people's relationship with food and the power of food to be a positive force in people's lives. That book um, has touched a lot of people's lives as well, I, I think. So, um, yeah, that's a great one to uh, to put into the mix. Have a look at that, yeah. And um, So nomination time, would you like to nominate anybody to take part in the Madam's cast? Oh, let's um, I'll have a chat with Drew. Oh, Okay, Drew Baker. Yes, Drew Baker. Yeah. Um, master, a vintage Master Chef winner. I think yeah. is that right? Always got big opinions, big strong opinions. Undoubtedly has a fantastic shelf of cookery books tucked away somewhere. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd like to see him. I'd like to to know what what problems he'd like to solve. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Well, I look forward to. Um, hunting him down and getting in touch with him and seeing if I can drag him onto the show. Um, in the meantime, thank you massively, Sini, for giving up some of your valuable time to come and blether at me across the internet. Um, <laughs> you've done a great job and you've kept me on my toes as well with, uh, you know, in terms of defying expectation and giving me some brilliant answers and making me think a lot about stuff. So huge thanks for that. Uh, great um, talking to you, Tim. All right, brilliant. Um, please come on again in the distant future sometime when uh, you when we when we solved when we've solved some of these problems. That yes, would be once you've yeah, everyone everyone's <laughs> expectations, less meat and taking guilt away from people. Yeah. Um, I look forward to hearing some more from you. Great. Okay. Talk soon, Tim. Thanks. All the best. Cheers, Sini. Bye bye.